<laughs> okay, great. If I just draw your attention back. Well, good morning again. Nice to settle down. It's um, great privilege to be speaking to you this morning as well. And we're continuing our series from the book of 1 Corinthians. You know, this is a letter in the Bible that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, which is now part of Greece. And uh, we've been going through this letter, seeing what Paul has to say to this church, and through that, seeing what Paul has to say to us. Um, So if you've got a Bible, you may want to turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at um, chapter 12 and the first few verses of that chapter. And um, I did it my way. I did it my way. That, That seems really to almost be a mantra, doesn't it, of the last few decades, particularly for those of us who live in a Western sort of individualistic culture. That mantra of I did it my way Um, seems to have been the the important mantra for us as a culture. In fact, it's even become the most requested and played song at funerals. That sense of people, when when, when they pass, they want to be reminded, yes, I was strong, I didn't give in, I did it my way, and um, and I'm dead. (laughs) But that does seem to be the mantra. And if I were to ask you this morning, what makes a church? Or what should a church look like? I imagine I'd probably get lots of different answers from you this morning. And probably those answers depend, maybe depending on two things. One is your experience of church. So you may have only been to a church building for a wedding or a funeral. You may, have been to a, you may have been brought up in a particular church or church background. And you have lots of experience of how that particular church ran. You may have had the experience and the privilege sorry, of experiencing lots of different church settings. So your experience may speak to what you think church would look like. But also I think there's your passion and your motivation. We're often what Christians would say is your calling. You may have a particular view on what is important for a church to be doing or how it should look. And the tendency, I think, for all of us is that we think the best church is the one that I imagine. The one that should be doing it my way, because wouldn't that be fantastic? So we do come sometimes to church background with us. We bring those things to, to, to our understanding of what church might look like. To do it my way is the best way. And what if I were to ask you what the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit looks like? It may take you a bit longer to think about maybe, but I imagine again it would be from your experience and background or your character and calling. You'll have a range of different answers to what you think the Holy Spirit does and who the Holy Spirit is and what the activity of the Holy Spirit looks like in a church. You may be this morning coming and thinking, I've never heard of the Holy Spirit. You may come, you may be here with us and and background of I'm nervous or unsure of the Holy Spirit because I've heard that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped once the Bible was written. Or because certain expressions of the Holy Spirit seem quite weird and completely odd. So they can't really be from God. 
Or you may have come from a background which says, unless you speak in tongues, you are not a proper Christian. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are so important. And that one is, is more important than anything else. And we have these views, I think, don't we? Because we do want to follow God. Those of us who know and love Jesus want to follow him. We don't want to get it wrong. We want to be obedient to Jesus. And so we're striving, aren't we, to, to see what is best. What is the best way? But we're often, as I say, hampered by this feeling that actually my way is the best way. And what we need to do is really align ourselves with what God's way is about these things. What's God's way about the activity of the Holy Spirit? Because what can happen if, if one view becomes more dominant than another, the church is no longer an expression of what church should be. It can lead to an expression of church that's quite legalistic, heavy-handed, it can bring in like a, a hierarchy and a sense of entitlement and superiority for certain people based on what we think is most important. It can lead to the idolization and the following of personalities who appear to have a special anointing. Last week, Matt spoke, Matt spoke about how this sense of entitlement and superiority affected how people celebrated communion. He said they weren't doing it right. Because there was this idea of hierarchy, of, of, of society creeping into the church. So some people were left outside of taking communion with others because of the social position they had or how they looked. And this week what I want to focus on is what Paul turns his attention to now is this, how this affects the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The understanding and the practice in relation to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how that works in the church. Because Paul says this has also become corrupted. Just as, as your attitude and your thinking has, has corrupted the, the idea of communion together, also your thinking and practice has corrupted the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit among you. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? Imagine if someone came to our church and really got stuck into it and said, what you do is completely wrong. It's Sunday mornings, what are you doing on Sunday? That's totally rubbish. It's not right. Or if someone came to us and said, your midweek groups that you meet with during the week, gosh, you're doing that completely wrong. It's a harsh word, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying to the church today. So I'm going to look at these verses from, from chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. And he says, now, so this is Paul marking a change in his conversation. Last week he was writing about communion. and He says, but now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Because there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. 
to another speaking different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So often when we start to talk, talk about the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, our attention can really be gripped and drilled down into what are the gifts of the Spirit? What do they mean? What does it mean to speak in tongues? What does it mean to have the gift of prophecy? What does it mean to have a word of knowledge? We can get so caught up with the individual gifts and the focus on me. Do I have this gift? What is this about? <coughs> that we could collect the bigger picture of what is actually being talked about. So I don't want to focus today on the individual gifts. There's a long list in this passage, and that's not an exhaustive list. I think Paul just gives them there as an illustrative example of different gifts. I don't think he's emphasizing the gifts in particular at this point. And we've actually got some great material, if you want to find out more about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, on our website, on our blog. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing blogs around the Holy Spirit. So what I would encourage you to do from this morning is if, to go away and look at our blogs, go through them again. And particularly the ones that recently about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what they look like. Because I'm not necessarily going to focus on each individual gift this morning and what they mean. But I want to focus on what Paul, I think, is saying in these few verses. Because Paul from here, after this passage, is going on to talk more about the gifts and more about the practice and expression of the Holy Spirit in gathered communal worship. But he starts by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of the things of the Spirit. He's laying a foundation here for a church that should know what the Spirit does, how the Spirit works and moves. But he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the things of the Spirit. It's so important to get this right. So let's go back to the basics, really, and the understanding of the Holy Spirit and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Because unless you get this right, you, you're going to end up like you are with what's happening in the church in Corinth. It's as this hierarchy of gifts almost, where the church is saying that the speaking in tongues is the height of work of the Spirit. And so they, they're just going off all over the place. So you might come into a Sunday, uh, whatever, whatever they're meeting publicly, and someone might even just greet you going, hello, blah, 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 blah. They say, I'm speaking in tongues, it's really important. And you imagine, so you imagine going to somewhere up to a building. Imagine going there and someone going, blah, 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 blah. Weird, isn't it? So that's where they were at. That's where they were, there's this hierarchy and superiority. And so Paul is going, no, let's get back to the basics of what the activity of the Holy Spirit looks like. And let's not forget, Paul writes, he says, I would love, I speak in tongues more than any of you. So he's not knocking the gift of tongues here in this passage. He's using it as an example to draw their attention back to what the real and true activity of the Holy Spirit is. He's laying his foundation. And I think he does it, I just want to pull out three little points really from this about how he does this. He first of all starts by saying as a reminder of excuse me, who the gifts are from. Say, who are they from? Who are they from? Who are they for? Who are they for? Who are they for? And finally, what are they for? What are they for? 
So I think Paul is really laying this foundation, bringing the church back to these things, saying, where are they from? Where are the gifts from? Or who are they from? Who are they for? And what are they for? So who are they from? Well, it says, the gifts, the manifestation come from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. So you say, the work of the Holy Spirit, therefore, should reflect the person and character of God. And he, and he points out, I think, two, three things. One is the unity of God. So there's one God. The second thing, there's diversity in God, and therefore diversity in the work of the Spirit. But there's also sovereignty in God. And so the work of the Spirit is the sovereign work of God. It's not just a random act of something. Paul starts by contrasting, really, the work of the Spirit by minding, reminding themselves of something they're familiar with. He said, when you were pagans, he said, before you became a Christian, before you started following Jesus, you were, you were led somehow, doesn't he say, you were led somehow, some wandering, meandering to worship idols. And in your worship of these, these idols or other small uh, gods with a small g, if you like, there were many of them. And somehow you were led to one or another, somehow you were led to worship one, maybe you had a certain need. And so this idol, this God is the place you go to for that need. You know, you need a good harvest. I have a child. You go to this idol and you worship that idol. You want to have a good relationship with your mother-in-law. You go to this idol. There was lots of different idols and somehow they were led to them, Paul says. Somehow, when you, before you became a Christian, you were led to all these different little gods and also, as part of that worship, you often would have this exuberant, um, emotional, unintelligible utterance as part of that worship. It would happen as part of the worship of idols, that you would speak in strange, ecstatic type experiences in speaking in a different language. <clears throat> and this was the, one of the things that Paul had said in high value, but he's actually saying no. The gift of tongues doesn't necessarily mark you out a spiritual person. Because when you were pagans, you did the same thing when you're chasing after, after lots of different gods. So what is the one thing? What's the, the, what, the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing an understanding of the character, of the unity of God? And Paul says in this passage, he says, it's actually not the un, in, unintelligible utterances you speak it's the intelligent utterances that you speak that declare that Jesus is Lord. Or the actual Greek says, the Lord, the, the Lord of my life, is Jesus. And Jesus is God. So the work of the Spirit is, is bringing unity. So whereas after you used to chase after lots of gods, the work of the Spirit brings you under one Lord. And that Lord is Jesus. Because by the Spirit that you, you're, we're able to say Jesus is Lord. So rather than running after lots of different gods and running after lots of different things, the work of the Spirit brings you in unity as a church under one God. The work of the Spirit should enable us to follow Jesus, to put Jesus as Lord of our lives. And if we're still running after lots of different things, still running after lots of different ideas and ideologies, then we not truly, the work of the Spirit isn't, isn't, isn't really active among us. So there's unity. 
The Holy Spirit brings unity, reflects the unity of God. There's one God, not lots of different little gods anymore. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's one God, and you are under the lordship of that God in Jesus Christ. There's also diversity. There's diversity in gifts. Paul lists in all sorts of different gifts. He says there's lots of different things that go on. Tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, all those different things that he mentions. There's not just one gift that's so important, which is what the Corinthians church has started to take on board. They said, no, speaking in tongues, this one is the most important. Paul says, no, it's not. You used to do that when you were a pagan. It doesn't necessarily mark you out as a truly spiritual person. But there are lots of different gifts. You know what? They're given to different people as well. The gifts are given not to just one person who looks right, not to one person who seems really holy or seems to have a special anointing. Therefore, the gifts are given to them. They're given to different people. It says there are many different forms of service in this passage, doesn't it? Different types of work. Repetition of the same, the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. Seems to emphasize that the one spirit is manifested in a great variety of gifts and ministries. Thus the unity of God doesn't imply uniformity in gifts. Rather, the one and only God is responsible for variety itself. Yes, there's one God. But the work of God in people's lives is very different in its expression and how it works out. Because there are different people, there are different gifts that God gives. Paul's point, I think, seems quite clear. He's not about uniformity, which is what the Corinthian church were looking for, their way of doing it. My way is you all speak in tongues, therefore we're a spiritual church. That's what the Corinthian church was saying. This is our way, my way. But Paul is saying, no, that's not the way. Diversity. In the context of this one God, God's way, is essential for a healthy church. And we want a healthy church, don't we? As Christians, our unity comes from all of us being under one Lord, one God, not chasing after idols anymore. And this unity we have is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So the work of the Holy Spirit is reflecting God's character of unity, diversity. It's also sovereignty. It says at the end of this passage, it says, the Spirit gives just as he determines. Unlike the, when you were a pagan, when you somehow chased after different gods, you somehow found different idols, you somehow were led to different things. This work of the Spirit is manifested as God determines. It's not random. It's not purposeless. God has a plan and a purpose for giving gifts to the church. The Holy Spirit, and as, as God, has a plan in, in bringing gifts and giving gifts to the church. <clears throat> it isn't a random act, or it's not, and it's not rewards-based. The Holy Spirit is given to each one of us. Gifts are given to each one of us. Given to you, Tim. Given to you, Paul. Given to you, Mike. Given to you, Brenda. Each one, it says, each one the Spirit is given to, the gift is given to each one. Not a special one. Not, a, not the leader. 
There may be gifts given to the leader for different reasons, but they're not given to the leader because they're a leader. (laughs) They're given to the leader because God's sovereignty says, I need that person to have that gift right now. To God's sovereignty, the sovereignty of God is expressed in the Holy Spirit, giving gifts, not randomly, not based on particular character traits that we think are important, but on the sovereign work of God. God gives, God chooses to give you a gift. The Holy Spirit chooses to give you a gift. Isn't that amazing? You're a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts. Each one of you here this morning, whether you're in the building, whether you're on Zoom, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is wanting to give you gifts. To each one. Each one of us here has gifts from the Holy Spirit. So who are they for? That's who it's for. Each one of us. No special person. So if it's not some random act, it's not, it's it's who are they from? It's from this one God who is diverse. It's the Father, it's the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's an expression of diversity in the person of God. There's only one God, but there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The mystery of God. There's one God, but there's diversity in God. There's one church under the Lordship of Jesus. There's diversity in the gifting and skills. Many works, but one God. Many acts of service, but one Lord. Many gifts, but one Spirit. The work of the Spirit, Paul is saying, is, is reflects the character of God. And they're for you. They're for each one of you who follows Jesus. But they're not just given for our own personal satisfaction. They're given for a reason. What are the gifts given for? What are they for? A couple of weeks ago, Nev talked about looking for the interests of others that Paul writes about in this letter. And how looking to the interests of others glorifies God. And it's the same for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're not for the satisfaction and promotion of us as individuals. Which is what the Corinthian church were doing. They're saying, give me the gift of tongues so I can be promoted in the church. I'll be seen as a better person. I may be promoted to leadership because I have this gift. Not for that. It says here in this passage that they are for the common good. So the Holy Spirit gives us gifts for the good of the church. It's to build the church up, all right, elsewhere. They're for the building up of the church. They're here not to just make us think we've good and we, we're right, we've arrived. But they're here to help the church grow and to develop. They're for the development of the church and also there to help us to reach our community that doesn't yet know Jesus. As the, as the Holy Spirit works building up the church with gifts, these gifts spill out, as it were, into the, into the community. Things like words of knowledge. You may be speaking to someone and, and you suddenly feel that God gives you a prompting about something in their life. And you can speak to them about that situation. You may have to speak a word of wisdom and say, you know what, that situation is, is, is this bad, but you know what, what I've found following God is this, I've, I've done this and I've said this and, I've, and I've, this is what I've done in this situation, this is how it's worked out. And you can do the same. Word of wisdom. The Holy Spirit working in everyday life. 
So the church is under the lordship of Jesus through and by the Holy Spirit. The activity of the Holy Spirit is more than the gifts. That's what Paul is emphasizing. But the gifts are important. So the church is not to be built the Corinthian way. The church is not to be built my way. The church is to be built God's way. Jesus, it says, is building his church. And to do that, he sent his Holy Spirit to us. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us build the church through the gifts. The Holy Spirit distributes these gifts as he sees necessary and fit. We're not to judge what that activity looks like or the importance of each individual gift. But our words should express when we're together intelligible speech that demonstrates the lordship of Jesus. That's why Paul goes on later to talk about tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy and weighing prophecy later on in in this letter. Because it's important when we're together that we understand what's being said when we come together. (coughs) So the emphasis is on the great diversity of gifts that the one God distributes through the one spirit for the sake of all of us together. Even though they're given to each person, they're ultimately expressions of of the spirit's sovereign action in the life of us and the community and the church as a whole. I just want to finish with a bit of a story from the Bible that sort of illustrates how we can get this wrong. And this is um, from Acts chapter 8. And this is a story from the beginning of the early church. And what's happened is in Jerusalem, there's been... Jesus has risen in Jerusalem. He's appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem. There have been lots of followers added to the church in Jerusalem. And what's happened is a massive persecution... And lots of people have been spread out far, far and wide as a result of this persecution. And one of these people is called Philip, who's become what, what the, church, the church called the deacon. Um, said when they picked him, he was a man of faith and full of the spirit. That's why they chose him. And he, he was scattered. He went to a place called Samaria, a city in Samaria. And he went around teaching about Jesus. From the passage, you can see in Acts chapter 8, he obviously had... The gifts of the Spirit, all sorts of things. Powerful things were happening in terms of people being healed and, 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 and all sorts of things. And so he was gathering a lot of people. People believed, it says in Jesus. They followed Peter because of what he was seen to be doing. But it, sorry, Philip. And it, it was all centered around Philip at this point. And then Peter comes from Jerusalem. One of the people who'd been with Jesus um, and followed him and had learned all his teaching. And he comes... And he then starts laying hands on people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what started as, as, as one man being followed around because of the gifts he was, he was doing and poured out, all of a sudden, all the people that believed in Jesus and were following Philip were doing the same things. They were filled with the Holy Spirit as Peter prayed for them. And they were going around doing amazing things. And there was one guy in the crowd, a guy called Simon. And Simon was... It says that he was a sorcerer. So he, he obviously practiced certain techniques. He was considered a powerful man, a special anointed man in the community he comes from in this city in Samaria. He was considered that. And it even says he believed in Jesus and started following and was baptized, it says. He believed in Jesus and was baptized. And yet, when he saw Peter coming and laying hands on people, he comes to Peter and says a strange, it's an amazing thing, he says, How much can I give you 
for me to have this gift as well. And Peter says something very interesting to him. Peter says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So he'd seen Simon had experienced and, and believed in Jesus. He'd been baptized. But when he saw the Spirit at work, he thought, I want this for myself because I want people to follow me again. I've been a powerful person in this city. People look to me, but now people are following Philip. But now I've, I can see a way of getting back. If I have this gift that Peter seems to have, then people will come and follow me and, be part and, 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 and revere me again. And Peter could see right through him. He said, no, the reason you want to buy this gift from me and not go to God and ask is because your heart is wrong. Your motivation is wrong. Your desire for this gift is wrong. It's selfish. It's self-promoting. He says, you're evil in your heart <laughs> and you need to repent of that. And so we see that the gift of the Holy Spirit can be so misused and misapplied in the church and that's why over the last few weeks we've been focusing in our in our together evenings on tuesday on the work and the person of the holy spirit because as paul writes here he says i don't want you to be ignorant of the things of the spirit the spirit brings unity the spirit expresses the unity of god the spirit pours out a diverse range of gifts and abilities and skills not for your own individual um, gratification and promotion, but for the work of the church, to build the church, to be a place that recognizes the lordship of Jesus, that recognizes that <coughs> the best place for a person to be is under the lordship of one God, not chasing around after lots of other gods, because they don't satisfy. They don't provide what you really need, which is the forgiveness of sin. And the Holy Spirit brings you alive because the Holy Spirit shows you who Jesus is. And through the Holy Spirit, you can sit under the kingship of Jesus. He is Lord of your life. There's no more purposelessness running around. There's a purpose in the gifts of the Spirit to build the church. There's a purpose in the Holy Spirit giving a gift to each of you and each of us this morning to build the church. So I'm just going to ask the band to come up. So Paul challenges the church. <laughs> he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. But the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit was at work in the Corinthian church and he wanted to bring correction there. The Holy Spirit is at work in, in us, in our church, in the church today. And the Holy Spirit is giving gifts and does not want to be ignorant of that. Wants us to be using them wisely. Wants us to be used, he wants, does want us to be using them, not to be sitting back and passive. So each one has a part to play. Paul goes on to talk about the analogy of the body, the body of Christ. And body has different parts, eyes, legs, arms, ears, nose. And he says, what, what disaster it would be, isn't it, if the eye said, I wanted to be an ear. Or the ear said, I'm just useless. 
I want to be a nose. Um, each person, each part of the body is created. The church, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Each one be part of the church. So let's stand together. We're just going to come again and sing and declare that we are Jesus's and the Lordship of Jesus. And as we do, let's allow the Holy Spirit to move, the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And there'll be a bit of time, I think, towards the end. So I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again. And we'll see what happens. (laughs) 